The Anchored City podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. I have heard the oldest stories that the wisest man never told. And I cast aside my worries And just went digging for gold And I will scale the highest mountains Looking for the bluest blue But of all the roads I'll ever walk I just can't was baseball mad, had the fever and had it bad, just to root for the hometown through every zoo, Katie Blue. On a Saturday, her young beau called to see if she'd like to go to see a show, but Miss Kate said no, I'll tell you what you can do. Take me out to the ball game, take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. That All-American pastime, baseball, brings out the All-American Girl Baseball League for spring training at Alexandria, Virginia. Two teams are working out, the Fort Wayne Daisies and the Racine Bells, getting in shape for an opening day doubleheader. Dottie Schroeder is quite confident that her hair won't get in her eyes. And keeping her eye on the ball is catcher Kate Vondroll. Okay, gals, play ball. Pat Scott has quite a curve. But this one is wide, and Gene Marlowe is willing to wait. Gene bunts it, the squeeze is on. Tibby Eisen slides home with a run and a nicely bruised leg. Better a bruise than long pants, eh, gals? Joe Weaver hits the long ball, almost out of the ballpark. Boy, that clears the base paths. And inside the park, Homer, by a whisker. Indiana, and in the township of West Dayton, baseball is by no means a game for the mere man. The girls are right in the professional spotlight, and these practice shots help you to see why. Though they don't mind knitting in odd moments, these league champions play 126 games a season and earn up to $100 a week. Nice going, girls, though they often arrive the hard way. Two years ago, I was visiting my old hometown of Grand Rapids, Michigan. On a hot August afternoon, I borrowed a car and went on a bit of a journey back into baseball history. Near the corner of Ottawa Avenue Northwest and Newberry Street Northwest is an alley labeled as Grand Rapids Chicks Way. On the brick alley wall of an auto body and glass shop is a series of murals depicting the 1945 Grand Rapids Chicks baseball team of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. Players like Betty Whiting, Sylvia Straka, Doris Tetzloff, 
and Connie Wisniewski and others are immortalized in those paintings. That 1945 Chicks team had moved to Grand Rapids from Milwaukee and finished the season with 60 wins and 50 losses. The Chicks played in Grand Rapids for nine more seasons till 1954. They were playoff champions in 1947 and 1953 and league champions in 1948. And they made the playoffs every single season. For one championship game, the Chicks drew a crowd of 10,000 fans at their home field at South High School. For the majority of the years the Chicks played in Grand Rapids, they were the only professional baseball team in the city, with a men's team, the Jets, a Chicago Cubs farm team, competing in the single-A Central League from 1948 to 1951. When one thinks of women's baseball, and the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League in particular, what likely springs to mind is the 1992 movie A League of Their Own, starring Tom Hanks and Gina Davis. But the league that was started by Philip K. Wrigley, the chewing gum mogul of the Chicago Cubs, in 1943 as a way to keep baseball going during wartime, was neither the beginning nor the end of women's baseball. Forty years after the last season of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, on Mother's Day 1994, there was a return to women's professional baseball. On that day, the Colorado Silver Bullets, the first and only all-female professional baseball team to be officially recognized by the National Association of Professional Baseball Leagues, took the field for the very first time. The Silver Bullets, despite their name, were based in Knoxville, Tennessee. The Colorado in the name came from the team's sponsor, the Coors Brewing Company of Golden, Colorado. The Silver Bullets were a barnstorming team managed by Hall of Fame player Phil Negro. Negro was quoted as saying, Women should have every opportunity to play competitive professional ball. I think we're going to surprise quite a few people with the ability of these athletes and the caliber of ball they can play. The Bullets toured the U.S. playing men's semi-pro and pro teams. On May 30, 1997, the Anchorage Daily News ran an article with the headline, Bullets Get Shot at Bucks, All Women's Team to Visit Anchorage. The opening sentence of the article read, The battle of the sexes will come to Mulcahy Stadium this summer when the Colorado Silver Bullets, the nation's only professional women's baseball team, will take on the Anchorage Bucks. A month later, in an article which ran the day of the game, it was clear that the women playing for the Silver Bullets were weary of the battle of the sexes talk. This looks like a girls-guys type of game, but it's not. We're just 21 women who love to play baseball. It's nice to be known as a trailblazer, but we're here to play baseball. Silver Bullets pitcher Allison Habits was quoted as saying, When the gates opened for the game on Wednesday evening, June 25, 1997, Anchorage residents poured in. The game between the Bucks and the Silver Bullets drew a crowd of 6,525 to Mulcahy Stadium. My wife and I were two of the fans in the stands that night. I have a vivid memory of sitting in the bleachers along the left field line, shoulder to shoulder, in a packed stadium. The game ended as a 7-0 loss for the Silver Bullets. The team from Colorado managed just two hits while in Anchorage. 
Two days before in Fairbanks, they had won 10-9. So the only women's professional team in the land played 500 baseball in Alaska en route to a 23-22 record for the season. 1997 was the Silver Bullets' only year with a winning record, and it was also the end of the line for the team and women's professional baseball. At the end of the 1997 season, Coors pulled its sponsorship and the team folded. In the nearly 60-year history of Mulcahy Stadium and the over 100-year history of the city of Anchorage, the single largest crowd ever gathered to watch baseball was there to see a women's professional baseball team. As unexpected as that seems, the city's earliest days may have given us a clue that it was possible. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two. Three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. In the Alaska Digital Archives, there's a picture of a women's baseball team called the Lightning Strikers. The caption written on the photo reads, The Lightning Strikers, winners of the Ladies Indoor Baseball League Trophy, Nome, Alaska, 1914. The striker's picture points to the fact that in the early 20th century, women were playing baseball, indoors and outdoors. The historian David Reamer, speaking on this podcast recently of the early residents of Anchorage, in the same time frame as the lightning strikers, said, It's hard to overemphasize how important baseball was to these people. Many residents of Anchorage have seen the pictures of the July 4, 1915 baseball game in the newly established Tent City. But that wasn't the first game played in the city. There's a picture of a game on June 13, 1915, which is thought to be the first known game in Anchorage. However, that July 4th game was one of a couple of games played around Independence Day that first summer. And baseball was just one of the many athletic activities that took place as part of these celebrations. The July 10, 1915 edition of the Cook Inlet Pioneer and Kinnick News reported that Anchorage celebrated the 4th of July with a highly interesting program of sports. The events included a powerboat race, a hundred-yard dash, a girls' race, a fat man's race, a married women's race, pole vaulting, a horse packing contest, broad jump, potato race, a pie-eating contest, and a wood-hewing contest. The paper reported that the feature of the day's doing was the baseball game between the Anchorage and Kinnick teams. It was a rattling game from the spectators' standpoint, and it was won after a hard contest by the local team by a score of 10-8. to 8. That was just July 4. The paper goes on to say, Sonny Kinnick had a glorious time on the 5th. The committees in charge of the celebration pulled off the various events as scheduled, and harmony and a good feeling prevailed throughout the day. The hospitality of our neighboring town was again substantially maintained is the testimony of the Anchorage visitors. The events in Kinnick included a 100-yard dash, an egg race, a girl's race, a women's race, a boy's race, a small boy's race, nail driving contest, three-legged race, and a sack race. The paper reported that Miss Dee Dee Blodgett had quite the day, winning the egg race, girl's race, and women's race. There, of course, was also baseball. In the second game of the holiday series between Kinnick and Anchorage, it was once again Anchorage that won, taking the series two games to none. 
the paper failed to report a score simply stating, in the men's game, the Anchorage team won handily. It is clear from that article that the men's game was not the best game played that day. Rather, it was a game played between the women of Kinnick and Anchorage that was the highlight. The paper reads, The big feature of the day, it was generally agreed, was the baseball game between Anchorage and Kinnick's ladies teams. The ladies played like veterans and won the praises of spectators for their good work on the diamond. After playing five hard-fought innings, the score being 10-10, it was mutually agreed to call the game off, and the prize money was equally divided. In the case where all did their best and played according to their opportunity presented, good ball, it would be unfair to single out any one of the individuals for special praise. Baseball on the 4th of July is a long-standing tradition in Alaska. Seward was playing 4th of July games years before Anchorage even existed, and the annual doubleheader between the Bucks and the Pilots draws the biggest crowds of the season each year. The pictures of the 4th of July games in the early years of Anchorage are well known. However, what is rarely, if ever, talked about is the record-setting crowd that gathered to watch the Silver Bullets back in 1997, and all but forgotten are the women that played in Kinnick in 1915. None of the names of the men who played in the 1915 games appear in the Cook Inlet Pioneer and Kinnick News article, but all of the women's names are listed. As a way to immortalize those female baseball players, here are your starting lineups. For the visiting Anchorage team, Mrs. Dixon will be catching. Miss Spillman will play first. At second, Mrs. Peters. Playing third, Mrs. Church. And the shortstop is Mrs. Pincus. In the outfield, Mrs. Peterson is in right, Mrs. Mulligan in left, and Miss Wilson in center. And taking the hill is Mrs. Newsom, the pitcher. And for your hometown Kinnick team, catching Mrs. Jenkins. At first, Margaret Dalton. Playing second, the speedy Dee Dee Blodgett. At third, Helma Simmons. And patrolling the grass in the outfield, Ivona Farrington in right, Miss Kane in left, and Miss Walter Howard in center. On the bump is the hurler, Catherine Howard. For more on baseball in Anchorage, check out the Between the Seasons episodes number four and five. And for more on the town of Kinnick, listen to season one, episode seven of this podcast. Until next time, I'm Joel Kiekenfeld. Be good out there. The Anchorage City Podcast is grateful for a grant from Resonate Global Mission and a partnership with Street Psalms, both of which contribute to making this podcast possible. And we're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you are hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and recommend us to your friends. You can support this podcast by selecting the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative at smile.amazon.com when you shop at Amazon so that when you make a purchase, Amazon donates to us. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. The Anchorage City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the heads, hands, and hearts of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. 
When we say peace, we mean the desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at Anchorage UTC. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Lutner.